Well, good evening. As Tracy said, I am Pete Stearns, and I am so thankful for the chance to be speaking with you tonight uh, and taking a part um, in this series, Unbreakable. Uh, Last week, we talked about what it means to be a part of an unbreakable community. And we recognize that when we involve ourselves in communities of people that are tight-knit and that are supportive, we can make a dynamic impact on the world. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the role that encouragement plays in those relationships. Before we go any farther, though, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to gather together. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that is alive in our hearts. Lord, a God that meets with us. A God that engages with our spirit. Lord, we pray tonight that we would just hear your word more clearly. Lord, that nothing would get in the way of the message that you have for us. And Lord, we would leave prepared to enter into your kingdom work this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, when I was younger, I was a part of the Boy Scouts of America. Do we have any other former Boy Scouts here? Not a lot of us, but a few. Um, And if you guys have been around Boy Scouting or have had children that were in Scouting or friends that were in Scouting, you know that of all the campouts and the backpack trips, the one that stands out as the most challenging, as the crown gem in the minds of these adolescent boys, is the 50-mile hike. You get all ready, you prepare yourself, you go on training hikes, you pack tons and tons of food, and at that point, as a little boy, your bag is about as heavy as you are, and you embark on a five-day trip across 50 miles of mountain hiking. Now, I was a freshman in high school when I got my chance to go with my patrol on our 50-mile hike. And we embarked on a stretch of the Pacific Crest Trail in Washington State uh, through the Cascade Mountain Range. And on our first day, we were eating pizza from scratch and all these different crazy things until about two miles in, we dumped off half of our food because we couldn't carry it any farther and went back to peanut butter and jelly and things like that. Um, But on the third day of the hike... I was chosen to be the trail leader that day, okay? We were about 25 miles into the hike, and basically all this meant is that I was going to walk in front of our group, I was going to set our pace, and I was going to look out for any danger that might be in front of us. I was probably not the best candidate for this job, but I was put in front of the group, and we were hiking along, and we got to a part in the trail that became um, pretty covered in brush, And you could barely see which direction the trail was going. The trees and the bushes were tall next to us. And you could faintly see that we were going to hit a corner up here, but you couldn't see what was around that corner. And so I was hiking, leading the guys with my head down, trying to navigate this trail that could barely be seen. And I rounded this corner, and suddenly, about 15 feet in front of me, I saw this. And I proclaimed, it's a llama, started singing happy birthday, and ran into the woods. I have no idea why this was my reaction. I was, in essence, making myself a squeaky toy that was being thrown for the bear. But I was just flooded with fear upon seeing this, and it completely shut down my brain. I couldn't process 
the scenario that was happening in front of me. Now, I had been in scouts a long time. I knew that if you see a bear, you're supposed to lift your pack above your head, make yourself look larger than you are, speak in a commanding uh, voice, and walk slowly backwards. Not me. I shouted it was a llama. I confused this bear with that llama right there. You can see the resemblance. Now, fortunately, the bear must have been startled or just didn't want anything to do with my stupidity. And so he headed off the trail as well, never to be seen again. Um, But the reality is, is that when we live in fear, when we live in negativity, our possibilities become limited. And there's actually quite a bit of science behind this. A woman named Barbara Fredrickson did an experiment a few years ago, and she pulled in a large focus group together. And she had these, this group of people, and she broke them out into various, various uh, segments. And in one segment, she had this group of people watch videos that created negative thoughts, that created fear, that created hostility, that created anger. And they watched images and videos of of these these negative um, and frustrating scenes. Then this other group she set up, and she wanted them to look at neutral images. Things that you would encounter in your day-to-day. Things that don't necessarily elicit positive emotions, but they don't necessarily elicit negative emotions either. And then finally, she had a group that was watching videos that was all completely positive and uplifting and encouraging. And after they were done watching the videos, each person in each group was handed a sheet of paper with 20 lines on it. And they were told, given the circumstances of this video, how would you respond if you found yourself in a similar situation? In this first group, this group in the negative situation, were only able to write one or two possible outcomes. The second group in the neutral had five or six outcomes that they were able to to jot down on the paper. But this group that was watching these images of positivity and encouragement could not find enough space to write all the things that they could do in situations like this. The reality is, is that encouragement is powerful. It can shape the way we live in our worlds. And it can open up endless opportunities to you and I. As Tracy read earlier, our passage today comes from Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. And I'm going to read it again for us. It says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, before we go any farther into this passage, we need to um, lay a little bit of a foundation of context for it. The church that Paul is, is talking to in this letter is nothing like Christ's church. The church that Paul is talking to are the very first believers. The per- first people to be impacted by the life of Christ the first people to enter into that relationship. And because of that decision to do so, they face extreme persecution. They are a church that this commitment means they could be beaten in the streets. They could be stoned or killed. 
And Paul knows this firsthand because he himself killed countless Christians before entering into a relationship with Christ. And he recognizes that that fear of death is shutting down the church. Think about it. If I told you that next week there would be an angry mob waiting for us outside of Christ Church with legal authority to kill us, this room would be pretty sparse. I'm not sure that I would come to that service. But this is the reality that these Christians are living in. And so they're closing themselves away. Their fear of death is causing them to shy away from their relationship with Christ. The risk of leaving their homes is too great. And so they're shutting themselves away. And Paul recognizes that this is a problem. Because if you are going to spread a religion across the world, if you are going to spread the good news to every last human being out there, you have to leave your house. But fear has limited their potential to spread this. And Paul sits there, I'm sure, painstakingly writing this letter, thinking, how can I convince them to be bold? And he decides that encouragement is the best route. Now, I'm sure if you're anything like me, when you came in today and found out that our message was going to be about encouragement, you expected a fluffy pat on the back. But that's because we greatly underestimate the power of encouragement. We are only in this room today because of encouragement. Because Paul resorted to encouragement to motivate people to face death, to leave their homes. And guess what? It worked. But Paul first starts by laying out the foundation. And he says in verse 23, in verse 23, he says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. He starts out by saying, look, First and foremost, we need to recognize that Jesus Christ and his promise of of a hope of the future is all there is to cling to. Because if there is another way, find it. Because this one is not going to be easy. Leaving your home and facing potential death is not going to be easy. And so if Jesus Christ is not the only way, if we cannot affirm that his promise is true, then why are we even doing this in the first place? So he starts with that foundation, that Jesus Christ is the only reason that I am telling you to go out into the streets and risk losing your life. And then second, he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He says, once you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, then you need to start motivating and encouraging others to act on that foundation, to act on that belief. Because I sincerely believe with just a word of encouragement, you can convince others to overcome great obstacles. You can convince others to face their fears and their challenges. You see, Paul recognizes the power of encouragement. And he recognizes that that power is very deep. 
and very widespread. Believe it or not, there are 74 people at Christ Church of Oak Brook that are signed up to run the Chicago Marathon this year. Now, a few years ago, I would have said that they were absolutely insane. I mean, the guy that the marathon is based off of died while running the first marathon. It is literally an impossible feat to accomplish, yet 74 people at Christ Church have signed up to do it. And a few years back, I was in their shoes. I was sitting here in a Saturday night service, and a guy by the name of Michael Chitwood came, and he, he stood up here on stage, and he encouraged us and said, I believe that you can do this. I believe that even though you spent your entire day watching football and eating pizza, you can run 26.2 miles. I've seen it done by, before. I've seen people with less physical ability than you get out there and run a marathon. And he continued to say, and the impact of you running this marathon is impressive. You can change the lives of others around the world just by signing up tonight. He left the stage, and I was sitting with a few of my friends, and we turned to each other and said, that would be pretty cool. I think you could do it. Well, I, I think you could do it. And we got nudged to sign up for the Chicago Marathon. And we signed our names and immediately regretted it, you know? I think my first long run, we went out, we were supposed to run four, four miles, and it resulted in like a three-and-a-half-hour nap that afternoon. <laughs> Yet I was going to end up running a marathon. And it was the nudging and the encouragement of my friends and this guy that I didn't really know that made me face that fear. It made the impossible seem feasible. And I got to race day, and my stomach was churning, and, and I didn't feel good, and I felt like, oh, this is, this is bad news right here. But then I saw throngs of people line the streets of Chicago. Hundreds of thousands of spectators come out every single year to watch the marathon. And believe it or not, they're not there for the man that's going to win. They're not there for the people that are even going to finish in the top hundred. For the most part, they would care less about these men and women that have dedicated their entire life to being the best in the world. They're there to cheer on men and women that will finish two to five hours behind the leaders. And as you begin running the streets, you read these signs that they're holding up that say, you've got this, you can do this, push through the pain, remember your training. And at first it's not necessary, but at mile 22, when you're bent over on the curb, thinking you're literally going to die, and a total stranger comes up and says, it's only a few miles, I believe that you can finish this it suddenly takes on a new meaning. And that was me. I only got to the finish line because of complete strangers telling me I could do it. They didn't know my story. They didn't know anything about me. They didn't know if I was literally having a heart attack right there. But they told me I could do it, and I believed it, and I got up and I finished the race. You see, encouragement emboldens us to face our fears and to overcome insurmountable challenges. Just with a few words, we can change the reality of the person that we are talking to. 
With a few words, we can change what they perceive as their own limitations. We can provide them with new opportunities and new life. And Paul recognizes this in this passage. He recognizes that the fear of death is rather insurmountable. And the only way to overcome it is to tell one another that we can. Is to tell one another that we must. And so he encourages them and he says, lift each other up. Find other believers and encourage them, remind them of why we're doing this and tell them that you believe that they can. Motivate them towards acts of love and kindness. What would that look like if we were doing that in our day-to-day life? If we came to somebody in our church and said, hey, I really think you should invite this person next week to join us. Suddenly that person that may have been thinking about inviting them feels empowered to do it. Maybe we challenge a close friend or a sibling to invest in scripture a little bit deeper. Maybe we challenge a coworker to make their faith more evident in the workplace. Maybe we encourage somebody that we know is sick and having a horrible day. And yeah, it might not change the reality of their situation, but it certainly can bring a smile to their face and change how that day is going to go. Encouragement has the power to embolden others to face their fears and overcome their challenges. Now, I'll admit that every once in a while in my boredom, I will flip to my phone and pull up my Facebook app. Does anyone else do this? They have a, a moment's notice, and they just pull up Facebook, and you flip through. Don't do it. It's a horrible idea, because every time I do it, I find myself weighed down. I flip through story after story of horrible things happening in our world, of scandals in the NFL, of church pastors that are being dismissed from their positions, of angry friends who disagree with this politician or the other. And I begin to think that the world's not that great of a place, that there is so much anger and hatred and violence out there. Why does any of this even matter? And a few years back, a couple of guys um, named Eli and Peter Colkey decided that they wanted to change this. They recognized that every single time they went on their Twitter feed or their Facebook news feed, they were just getting bogged down with horrible thing after horrible thing. And so about a year and a half ago, they launched a website called Upworthy.com. And the mission of that website was to provide one video each day that pointed people to the goodness of the world and allowed them to become a participant in that. Gave them an action step. And while I don't agree with all of the content that's uploaded there, I love the premise. This idea that by just pointing you and I and other people on social media towards something good that is happening in their world, it can change their perspective. It can change the way they view their reality. It can change the way they see the world. Encouragement is the same way. It's that same idea. 
Encouragement is not just for the person being encouraged. Encouragement is for you and I, the people that are actually doing the encouraging. Because when we encourage others, it forces us to intentionally recognize God's presence in our world. If I'm going to point out something good in you, it means that I'm being intentional about recognizing that good is happening. If I'm going to see you and say, I am so impressed by how alive you are after you read your scripture, I am forced to realize that even though maybe right now my Bible doesn't bring me a lot of life, that scripture brings others to life. If my son or daughter comes to you and says, hey, I really would love to serve at the food pantry tomorrow, and I think that you would be the perfect person because I don't know how to do that. I guarantee that dad is serving at the food pantry the next day because he has suddenly seen a new light in his son. And Paul recognizes this as well, and it goes back to his very foundation of reminding people and affirming the truth of God in this world. When we begin to lose our perspective and we begin to see our worlds as negative and heavy and dark, we lose our ability to continue to live and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. But when we begin to recognize that in others, it affirms the truth of his promise to us. It affirms the truth of the hope that he has provided us. Now, if encouragement is so good, if it has these two enormous benefits, then why is it so unnatural? If it can really embolden others to do the impossible, and it can bring light to our lives by revealing God, then why was it so weird when we encouraged each other earlier today? Why, when we were greeting one another, did we have to rack our brains to think of anything we could possibly say about this person sitting next to me? Encouragement does not come naturally, at least not for myself. And I think it's because we know deep down that encouragement is more than just a phrase. Encouragement is more than just a word or two to point out something good that someone else did. But encouragement is a challenge to the way that we live our lives. A few years back, um, a friend, John, and I decided that we really wanted to invest in um, the homeless population of Chicago. And we were thinking of ways that we could get to know um, their stories and get to dive in and understand their testimonies a little bit better. And we decided to spend our Sunday afternoons with a backpack full of sack lunches walking around, handing those meals out, and sitting down and talking to them. And we would have conversation after conversation with people we would never cross paths with. And after the, the afternoon was done, we would excitedly talk about the, the experience that we had had on the train. We ride, we're riding back together talking about, I talked to this person, and you won't believe what happened in this person's story, and you won't believe the faith that I encountered in this person living on the streets. And so each week we would, again, encourage each other and say, hey, it was so awesome doing that. Thank you so much for partnering with me. Let's do it again next week. And week in and week out, we would go to the city and spend our afternoons there. But I got to admit, as time went along, part of me 
was a little nervous, a little apprehensive about going downtown. Part of me would have rather spent my Sunday afternoon watching football. And so I dragged my heels a little bit on the encouragement end. I didn't text John as often. I didn't mention it very often with him. And sure enough, he stopped mentioning it to me. And quietly, we moved away from our rhythm of serving in the city on Sundays. You see, because if I was going to encourage John to go serve in the city, it meant that I was going to have to go too. If he was going to encourage me to go serve in the city, it meant that he had to go as well. And so when I became tired, when I didn't want to do it anymore, I lost my motivation to lift him up. And he had the same thing happen to him. And that applies to all of us. If I'm going to constantly be encouraging somebody in their faith and saying, I cannot believe how many friends you have invited to church. That is such an inspiration to me. I know that at some point, I'm going to have to have that awkward conversation and invite someone. If I'm going to tell somebody week after week that I'm impressed with um, how much they know about their Bible and how often they dig into Scripture, I know that at some point, I'm going to have to start reading. If I'm going to encourage somebody for always being uplifting to others and never gossiping in the hallways of school, I know that I'm going to have to stop gossiping at school. Or at the water cooler. Or just in our neighborhood at a block party. Whatever it may be. We recognize that encouragement challenges us to live our lives similarly. So as we leave today, let us think about the three ways that encouragement equips us to live more fully in our world, equips us to be a part of these dynamic, unbreakable communities. Encouragement emboldens others to face their fears and challenges. Encouragement forces us to be intentional about recognizing God's presence in our world. And finally, encouragement challenges us to live our lives accordingly. This challenge piece is a misconception, though. Because we haven't started in this cycle. This isn't a list of three things. It's kind of this circular pattern. That when we start emboldening others and we start seeing God in them, we too are going to be encouraged to be excited about living into these things. It won't seem like this dreaded thing that we have to do. Instead, we're going to be excited about investing. We're going to be excited about living into the things that these people have been encouraged by. When we see God in them, when we affirm his truth, it motivates us to also do great things. So as we leave, our takeaway is just to start with the encouragement piece. Just start that cycle. Get it into motion. You don't have to leave right now and do all three. You don't have to see all those things happening. But we need to start. And we're hoping that we might be able to help you kickstart that. And we've got um, these postcards that we're going to be handing out to you. And these postcards say, you've got this. Or some sort of inspirational thing on them. And we want to encourage you to take one or two of those. And tonight, think about who is it in your life that is living in such a way that's deserving of encouragement? And then who in your life 
really could use a bit of encouragement. So one person that might be feeling a little bit down and needs somebody to lift them up, and one person that is really serving God at their fullest potential and needs to be recognized for doing that. And just write a quick note to them and send it along and see how that begins to affect how you view them. See how it affects them in their actions. And don't stop there. After you've sent these two postcards, find one or two people each day that you can just say one encouraging word to, whether it's a son or daughter, a friend or a parent, just to say one encouraging word. And if after one week it doesn't work, stop doing it. But my guess is that if we are intentional about encouragement this entire week, we will find that we rejuvenate the faith of others while also reinvigorating our own faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to be here. Lord, I pray that you would just live through us. And Lord, that we would be motivated to encourage others. Lord, I pray that through this encouragement, we might see you more clearly. And Lord, as we see you clearly, let us be bold to pursue you with all of our heart. We pray this in your name. Amen.